0: Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Uh, we are in verses 15 through 21 with a message entitled, Don't Waste It. Don't Waste It. Uh, as we go through this today, those guided notes should be a help to you uh, to kind of follow along. Uh, don't be afraid to add some other things regardless of what's on the screen or fill in the blank. Those are, you're going to see some extra lines. Those are some things that you can write down that might stand out to you. And I hope that you guys take those notes home and even maybe look at them once more uh, during the week to help jog your memory. You know, sometimes we're forgetful people and we can hear a Bible study, God can speak to us, but then we second guess, Uh, we don't second guess, we forget quickly, so we leave. And then sometimes a note like this can be a helpful reminder during the week of like, oh yeah, God spoke to me, now let me be a doer of the word and not just a hearer and a note taker of the word. Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever wasted something because you weren't being careful? Yes. I know I've experienced this. I wasted something because I wasn't careful. But the, honestly, the memories I have are actually of my sister. I have this vivid memory of my sister. Uh, we got home from getting in and out. We were, we were taking it home. We weren't eating there. And and she was responsible for the food, but she wasn't careful, and in and out went all over the driveway. It was very a very sad moment indeed. Uh, I remember my sister as well. I don't know why both the illustrations have to do with her, but they but they do. Uh, I remember she would always save like her Halloween and Easter candy, like I would always eat it you know pretty quick quickly after that week or the week after. Uh, but she would. I remember one year specifically. It's so random. But they had these, uh, we would always get Easter candy every year, and there was this giant egg, and it was a solid crunch bar, but it was in the form of this giant egg. It, just, it was just awesome. Uh, who doesn't like crunch bar in the form of something else? So, and, then, and then I remember, like, I ate mine probably the same day, but she, like, was not careful with the expiration, and, and then you know how chocolate gets white like over time, it got white and it went bad. and We just had to throw it away. And it was just so sad. Wasted something. Maybe for you, it was a gift card that you had never used. And then that place closed. Have you ever experienced that? You had a gift card and you're like, oh, I'm going to use this one day. And then they're out of business. So sad. Uh, or maybe for you, it was, uh, maybe you've, have you ever burned food in a toaster, right? You put the toast in, bagel in. And you think this is going to be the perfect, and then you get distracted, start doing something else, and then you come back and you have nothing but a black square, right? Uh, or maybe for you, maybe you waited too long to spend all your Bible bucks, and now you have all these Bible bucks, but you're in junior high, so you can't spend them, I guess unless you give them to like a old, like a sibling who can order something for you. Now all those things are bummers, right? They, they are. Uh, but you can always buy another In-N-Out burger, you can grab another piece of toast, But I want you to think for a moment about how you and I might feel in eternity looking back at our life and the time and opportunities that we might have wasted. It can be a sobering thought. You know, wasted life comes easy, but an intentional life never comes easy, but is always worth it. And so with that, let's read our text for the day, Ephesians chapter 5. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to start in verse 15 today and then go down to verse 21. Uh, 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 Just a small chunk here that we're going to dive into, and then we'll pray. The Bible says this, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Well, Lord, in heaven, we pray that as we open your scriptures today, it would not just be another Sunday, it would not just be another Bible study, but we would allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts. Lord, we know that it's powerful, living, it's sharp sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to divide between joints and marrow, even in soul and spirit. It's able to get in deep. We just ask that you would get in deep to our hearts. We know that all of us have certain calluses. Lord, we have certain parts of our heart that might be hardened to your spirit. We pray that you'd break up the fallow ground in our own heart, break up the hard stuff, that we might be moldable, shapeable, that you might do your work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, you can be seated. Ephesians chapter 5. Well, I first want to point your attention uh, to verses 15 and 16, the first two verses, which is where we find our goal and our motivation. And so if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, we're going to see our goal in these first couple verses, We're gonna see our goal and our motivation. And then with the rest of the message, we're gonna get in some practices of how we accomplish this goal. But for now, we see the goal laid out in verse 15 and 16. And that would be to walk circumspectly and redeem the time. This goal is twofold. There are two sides to the same coin because both of these things go hand in hand. To walk circumspectly and to redeem the time, they, they are connected. Notice after verse 15, we have a comma and not a period. There's a connection here, it's not a new thought, it's a similar thought, it's two sides of the same coin. And so we're gonna look at these things, our goal and motivation, and, uh, and we're going to see that the goal has these two parts, all right? The first one is that we would walk circumspectly. Now, this is a word that is not commonly used. I didn't hear any of you by the pool table uh, using this word. Well, I've just got to be circumspectly as I begin, circumspect, as I begin to, uh, you know, play pool. No, this isn't something we, we, we use in our common language, but it is an English word. And the Greek word that that they translated means to to be careful, to walk circumspectly is to live mindfully. Really the best definition would be to be intentional, to be deliberate. And there's even this kind of idea of precision and accuracy and exactness. It's to live in such a way that is not careless, but careful. Last week, we talked about imitating Jesus by walking in love and walking in light. Do you remember that? Well, he kind of uses that term walk once more in this theme of walking, and he adds the word circumspect. Now, sometimes talking about the opposite of a word helps you to understand the word even better. And the opposite of walking circumspectly is to walk obliviously. You guys ever heard of the word oblivious? You know how some people just kind of live oblivious lives. If you don't know, then go to Costco after church and you will know exactly what I'm talking about, whether it's in the parking lot, whether it's all you're trying to do is get a rotisserie chicken and you get ran by a cart. Some people just live in their own world. They live oblivious. They just kind of are not careful, not intentional. Uh, maybe, maybe you're that person, or maybe you know a person in your life that's just like, man, they just kind of are a are little, little spacey. You see, this is the opposite. To walk circumspect is to walk and live intentionally. Notice the, even this little addition that he adds. Look at verse 15 in your Bibles. He says, to do this, not as fools, but as wise. Meaning to live your life obliviously is a foolish thing. To not think about how you're living and just kind of go where the wind takes you is a foolish thing. But to walk circumspectly is wisdom, which means that you need to begin to take ownership of your own life and actions. And I think for you as junior high students, you know, there can be this tendency where you don't have to think about much. Mom tells you what to wear. Mom tells you what to eat. Mom tells you where to go. Mom makes sure you know what homework is doing. And your life, because you have this oversight of your parents, which is God-given, you can kind of not be super intentional. You just kind of wake up and you're like, I don't even know what's on this, the schedule for the day. And you just kind of, you kind of, even today, you just like woke up because mom woke you up and then you got here because mom drove you, all those types of things. Now that's, that's normal, but at some point, You are going to be an adult. And at this point, God is beginning to hold you accountable for your own life, which means you need to plan and prepare and think, right? You are at this age where you need to begin to think for yourself. Your parents have been great. They've taught you. They've molded you. They maybe have shaped you. But listen, on that day that you stand before God one day, your parents will not be next to you. They'll, they might be in heaven, but on that day, we are gonna face him personally, which means at some point, there's gotta be some transition when you begin to, to leave childhood alone and begin to walk in the man and the woman who God is creating you into. And it doesn't happen. When you turn 18, it's not just like, oh, I have all these thoughts and I'm able to like do things as an adult. No, it's gotta be a transition, Ask your leaders. It doesn't happen where you turn 18 and all of a sudden you're this functioning person walking with the Lord. It starts now. And so we got to walk circumspectly, be intentional about how we live. But notice the connection that Paul makes. Not only are we to walk circumspectly, but he makes a connection with time. We are to be redeeming the time. And time, something that passes by and cannot be stopped. And we are to redeem it. It means to utilize or efficiently use something. That's what the word redeem means. And when he's talking about time, he's talking about opportunities. And every day you and I have an opportunity and we either redeem it or we waste it. The Phillips version of the Bible says it this way. He says that we are to make the best use of our time. It's almost like Paul is using time as a purchasing power or a currency. Uh, another way to put it is that you and I are to buy up all the opportunities that we have. I love the question and response of someone who once asked their friend who was a lifelong reader. He just, he just read and always, always uh, uh, found that time to read. And, and, and so the question was posed, How do you get time for it? How do you get time for reading? Life is so busy. And the man replied, I don't get time for it. I take time. You see, for all the things in life, you're not going to get time. You must take it. And the current place in your life, and I can tell you from experience, this is the least busy you will ever be. Ask some of your, we have some leaders in here who are, who are still in high school. They're just a few years down the road. They can look back just a couple years ago and remember what it was like. You are the least busy now you will ever be, which means if now you begin to set some patterns in your life, then they will stay there as you get older. There's almost nothing more valuable than time. All the money in the world is not enough to buy more of it, It's something we all have, but we aren't guaranteed how much of it we do have. It is something that can be easily wasted and something that we can easily take for granted. But for you and I as believers, we have a very different perspective regarding time than the world does. Because we know that the scriptures teach us that how we use and spend our time, think about that term, spend our time. Right? We, we spend it, it's, it's, and that's kind of the idea here, that we are to redeem it, this, this buying back. We are to spend our time uh, here. It'll determine how we spend our time in eternity. This is the difference. We know that how we spend time here will affect how we spend time in eternity, and there is no end in eternity, but there is an end here. The Bible is clear with us, That our time is limited and not unlimited. But the Bible tells us that our days are numbered, meaning that there is an end, but only God knows that end. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor, a vapor here one moment and gone the next. And so, with that context, Paul says, Make the most of every moment. This isn't like a just positive encouragement, this is our command that's given that as Christians, because we know that time is limited and we know that however long God gives us here and how we spend it will affect the quality of how we spend eternity, every day should be something special, should be something sacred, should be something that we seek to live intentional with. And so this is our goal, and it's very clear. We are to live intentionally and make the most of every opportunity, all right? But what's our motivation? That's our goal, but what's our motivation? We'll look at the end of verse 16. He says it right here, because the days are evil. The current period of time that we are living in, whether it was 2,000 years ago when this was written or even now, it's wicked and morally corrupt. Another way to put it, is that the current time when we live is filled with evil. The clear teaching from scripture is the fact that things will get worse before they get better. That they are going to get way worse before God makes them way better. And so this is one of the motivations that as we see our world and all the evil that is corrupting our world, and it can be a discouraging thing, but we shouldn't use it as a discouragement, but a motivation, knowing, okay, if our world is getting more evil and not more good, then that means that God's judgment is that much sooner, which means my time is that much shorter. Because we know that, like in the days of Noah, there's a judgment coming, and time is of the essence. We are to make the most of our time because there isn't much left. Listen, Jesus could come back today, which means your time, whether it was 12 years, 13 years, or 14 years, or maybe we have some 11-year-olds in here, that that was your time on earth. Now, he could delay. You could live till you're 80, but you don't know. And so with that mindset, we take today, being September, I think it's 16th. And we take today, September, October, October 16th, and we think about, okay, this might be my last one, and so help me to live it for Jesus. John 9, verse 4 and 5 says this. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, as dark as it might seem in our world, it is not yet night. Night is the idea that it's over. Judgment has come. Uh, the day, though, is at hand. And you and I, like Jesus, he was here during the day, meaning that there was time left. There was time left. And that time has extended because of the grace of God to us. And every day extra that we get is a day of God's grace towards our earth, our, our, uh, towards mankind. But for you and I, we are to be busy. We are to work the works of him who sent us to be lights in the world. I'd encourage you to go read about this parable later. Luke chapter 19. Okay, Luke 19. If you wanna read a very... Good parable that Jesus taught. All of them were good, but applicable to what we're talking about today. There's a parable that Jesus talks about how there is a certain man who went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom, uh, and then he was going to return. But before this man left, we're told that he called 10 of his servants and gave them money. And his direction to them, he said this, do business until I come. Do business until I come. And that's what you and I are to do. Jesus left to receive himself a kingdom. He was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And to you and I, before he left, he said, do business until I come back. And that's what we're to do. Every day, we're to be busy about our father's business. Amen? Okay, so... I want to show you guys now, that's our goal and that's our motivation, but how do we do this? The goal is clear, the motivation is compelling, but how do we actually accomplish this? What are the practical steps you and I can take to ensure that we are fulfilling the command to make the best use of the time we have? Because you might say, okay, I'm in, sign me up, I want to live every day intentionally and I want to live every day. Every day, making the most of however much time God has given me. What do I do, though? Like like today, like what do I do? If I want to make the most out of October 16th, because I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of the day, whether by rapture or by death, those things are both possible today. And so how do we, though, live the fullest for Jesus? Well, we find the answer to that question in the following verses. Verses 17 through 21, we find five practices, five steps, five ways that we can accomplish this goal in our life. Are you guys ready for it? You guys got this? Five ways, five practices to accomplish this goal, okay? You guys ready for number one? Yes? Okay, Tristan is. Number one, okay, we are to be understanding God's will. The first practice that we're to put into place is a practice of understanding the will of God. Notice verse 17, Verse 17 says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, don't be unwise. The word there is ignorant. Don't be ignorant. To be ignorant is to be without knowledge. He says, don't do that to yourself. Don't be ignorant about the topic of the will of God. The NLT version says, don't act thoughtlessly. Meaning don't live your life without thinking about what God wants for your life. That's a very easy thing to do. Naturally speaking, we wake up not thinking about what God wants us to do. We think about what we want to do. And it makes sense. We are we we are sinful people. We have this, this tendency to only think about ourselves. And so we have to then counteract that by thinking about the will of God. Notice what he says. He says, I want you to understand the will of God, to know and to comprehend. First, this tells us that God's will for your life is something that you can know. It is possible for you to know. And not only is it possible, it's expected. Not only is it expected, it's accessible. You can know it, but the ball is in your courts. The Amplified Version of the Bible puts it this way, understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. But how do we do that? Well, understanding God's will comes from knowing God's word. That's a phrase you should never forget. Because there are going to be situations in your life where you need to know what God wants you to do, and there is no answer outside of his word. And there's no answer you're going to get outside of his word. Now, there is, of course, the leading of the spirit, and we're about to get into that. But the spirit of God in us never contradicts the word of God, which displays to us The the will of God. There are verses in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, verses like this that say, this is the will of God for you, or for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you are ever reading God's word and you come to something like that that says this is what God wants for you, you better take note because that is a great indication of how you should live. Now notice, it doesn't just say know God's will, but it says understand God's will. Now that might seem like a small difference to you, but this is the idea that God will give you the ability if you know his word to understand his will. Meaning you know his word, and then you you bring that to your life. And You say, okay, well, it's October 16th, and it's a Sunday. And God, how do you want me to live the rest of today? If you know his word, then you will know his will. You'll know what to do. Now, there's specific things that God gives you freedom in. Live your life, but do so under the parameters of this is what God would want for me. To know his will, though, listen, it takes effort. It takes time. And so do you know what God wants in your life? If not, how come? Because God says it's available. Do you take time to read his message to you? Listen, you can't do what you don't know. And so if you say that you want to live a life for God, which means you want to do what he wants you to do, then you will not be able to do that apart from actually, personally, specifically you reading the word of God, but how exciting, how exciting the fact that God does, what God desires for your life is completely accessible. You can know what he wants. You don't have to guess at it. Have you ever had to guess what someone else wants? I really don't like that. I, I, whether, whether it's Christmas, yeah, that's a good one. Or whether it's like, you, you know, they're like, oh, just order me whatever you think. I don't know. Just tell me what you want. God doesn't play games with us. He doesn't leave it vague. I believe for each one of you, you can know what you ought to do today as you know his word. Make sense? Number two, the second thing that we're gonna practice to accomplish this goal of living intentionally and redeeming our time is we're to be filled with the spirit of God. Being filled with the spirit of God, meaning it is not a one-time thing. Notice what verse 18 says, it says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or destruction, but be filled with the spirit. That's all it says, be filled with the spirit. It's referring to the spirit of God. Now with this one, I'm, I like it because uh, we're given this kind of contrasting illustration uh, to help us understand it better. Well, what does it mean to be filled with the spirit of God? That's like a big phrase, but what does it mean? Well, we're given what it doesn't mean to understand what it does mean. He says, he, said, he gives us a do not and he gives us a to do. Okay, so if you're taking notes, we see that he gives us a do not. He says, do not be drunk with wine or alcohol. Why? Because of what it leads to. That word dissipation, it means reckless and wasteful living. He says, don't waste your life see, being drunk is gonna lead to things that you're gonna live how you shouldn't. Because alcohol, what it does to someone at that level that it begins to change their mind, which is pretty early on, they begin to do things that if they were in their right mind, they wouldn't do. Naturally, they wouldn't do it. When someone is drunk, they are under the power and the what? The influence of alcohol. So the contrast is to be filled with the spirit. To be filled with the spirit is to willingly come under the power and influence of the spirit of God so that you do not do what you naturally would do. That you don't do what you would do in your sinful mind. You now are under the influence of of something, rather someone else. But it has to be willingly. Typically, other than unique circumstances, I suppose, no one is forced to get drunk. It is a choice. Drink after drink after drink after drink. And to be filled with the Spirit is a choice. It's not just gonna happen. Don't worry, you're not gonna get drunk unless you choose to and you choose to by drinking. And so you are not going to be filled with the Spirit unless you choose to. It is something that's not a one-time thing, okay? So at salvation, you're filled with the Spirit. He is resident in your life, not leaving, never leaving, nor forsaking. But if you wanna live under his influence, that's gotta be something you ask for every single day. To be filled by the Spirit, it's to live in the constant awareness of the presence of God in your life. It's to choose to be led by him, to hand him the reins, to put him in the driver's seat. The picture, though, here is not that of volume. When it says to be filled with the Spirit, it's not that he says, oh, you need to, you know, every day be filled more and more with the Spirit. There's only, it's not like, uh, you know, where if you had a glass and you pour water into that glass and you need to be filled up. It's not talking about volume. Rather, it's kind of the picture of of this. It's the picture of how a boat with a sail, that the wind is blowing no matter what. But the only way that that boat is gonna be influenced by the wind is if they put up their sails and it completely fills. And it fills that boat. And so you and I are to put up our sails. The Holy Spirit is always blowing. It's always seeking to lead you in the details, of course, using the word of God. But sometimes we're just kind of out at sea, and we're just kind of floating there. Might get a little breeze, but only like the mast gets a little bit of influence. But when you put up those sails, now God says, now I can begin to direct you. And so are your sails up? Are we daily filled with the Spirit? It doesn't happen by default. It's not like breathing. You know, breathing, by this point in your life, you shouldn't have to think about it too much. If you're always thinking about, just make sure you breathe, okay, breathe in, breathe out, then you should probably go to the doctor, okay? Your body has been designed by God to do that without thinking, but to be filled by the Spirit always takes intentionality. So this daily prayer of ours should look like something along the lines of, God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk in your ways. I give you absolute permission to work in me, both to will and to do for your good pleasure, amen. It doesn't have to be a complicated prayer. It has to be an existent prayer. God's not looking for elaborate, long, crazy prayers. It could be a simple prayer when you wake up in the morning. God, fill me with your spirit. I want to be under your influence. It could be in a moment where you feel something coming on, whether it's temptation, whether it's anger. God, fill me with your spirit. I don't want to do, I know how I am under, outside of your influence, and I don't want to be there. And so God, would your spirit influence me? And you better believe God is answering those prayers. Yes? Third one is that we're to be worshiping together. Verse 19, he goes on, In this continuation, he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing out loud and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Well, as a result of being filled with the spirit of God comes a desire to worship God, and that comes by many expressions. The practice given here, though, is regarding specifically corporate worship, This is what we just engaged in a few minutes ago, uh, where we sung. We sung songs. Um, Some of them might have been hymns. I can't remember all the songs that we sung. Um, Notice there's a variety given here. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This could be a song that someone writes. This could be a scriptural um, uh, psalm that is literally sung. It's put to to a tune. Uh, Or this could have been something that's just kind of passed down from generations to generations. But the point is that as we are filled with the Spirit of God, if we're making the most of our time, then corporate worship is going to be something that is a consistent engagement within our lives. Now, notice, though, this, that this isn't about singing out loud, okay? This isn't about just the outward motions. Now, now sometimes there's indications of like singing out loud, raising hands, whatever it might be. That's, that's great, but that should only be a reflection of what's happening inside. Inside should be that, that melody making in your heart to the Lord. And so it's not about how, how, uh, how loud you sing or how well you sing or how high your hand is raised or how, how low you can go on your knees. It's not about that. It's about making melody in your heart to the Lord. God loves it. And it, it, is, a, it is a expression of, and it is a great use of time. It's a great use of time. And so we must ask ourselves, what is our perspective on worship? Do we think that worship is worth our time? It'll be evident with how we treat it. How you treat the time of corporate worship is, is will be reflective on how, what you think of it. Do we take time to give God our attention and devotion when I am with my brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, if you're not worshiping here when we're all together and there's like this intentional moment, then most likely you're probably not worshiping on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. This is just the cherry on top, right? This should not be our only place of worship. But absolutely, if we get together and and we're not worshiping within those set minutes that we have, then that will indicate that it's probably not happening during the week. And so do we look forward to worship or is it something that we think that we can skip? Is it something that's like, oh, well, the message hasn't started yet, so I'm here for worship. I'm not late. Or is it something that we dread and can't wait for it to be over? I just want to get to the, the good stuff. Or I just want to get to after service. Why do we have to do a last song? I just want to to leave. Or is it something we give attention to? Well, fourthly, in a very similar vein, he says the fourth practice we're looking at is that we are to be expressing gratitude. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another practical way uh, to redeem the time is to take the time, to say thank you, and to say thank you to whom credit is due. Not just to say thank you to anyone, but specifically it mentions saying thank you to God. Now, this goes back to living intentionally and thinking about what you have and where it comes from. The Bible describes for us that every good and perfect gift is from the Father above, meaning anything that is good is from God. Anything, the smallest to the biggest of things, the source is God. And so do we thank him? How often and what for? Well, notice your verse, verse 20. We are given the how often, which is always. And we're also given the what for, which is all things. Always and all things. You might wanna note that down. When it comes to gratefulness, And thankfulness, it is to be always and all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's one of those verses about the will of God. We can know absolutely when we are living in an attitude of thankfulness that we are living in God's will. Now, that can be expressed in multiple ways. That can be in our mind, just within our spirit, that we can thank God for the small things or the big things. That can also come out as we thank someone else. When you thank someone else, as a Christian, we ought to recognize that, we're, yes, we should thank them, but we recognize that any goodness that they display to us, really, if we follow the source, it comes back to God. And so absolutely, we should be good at saying thank you to other people, but not just because that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, that's just what you do. Someone does something for you, just say thank you. No, but actually, I think it can be a, an, an expression of worship when we say thank you to other people that, that we're actually, as well in our minds, we can be saying thank you to God. I think it's a great thing for us to begin to practice. And that's a great use of our time. It's worth the extra two seconds to say thank you, whether it's out loud. I mean, I think that's a good practice too. There's something good. Say thanks, Lord. Say thank you, God. I'll do that. Whether it's like even, you know, small things. I'll be driving. There's no parking. Wow, look at that. That's a Jesus spot. Thank you, Lord. It could be something. Did Jesus actually provide that spot? Well, I don't know, but the fact that I have a car and there is a parking spot, I'm going to thank God. Because I know if we trace back everything, goodness is from God. And so that's a good spot. must be from God. Think about how many things that could go for. What are you going to enjoy today? Your food? Maybe a drive home? Maybe the, that's why we thank God for the rain. I'm thanking God that it was cool this morning. It was awesome. And when you begin to practice that, it becomes like second nature. At first, it might be something difficult. You're like, ah, like it felt kind of weird saying that. Or I said that out loud. We were in the grocery store, and I saw a can of SpaghettiOs, and I just said, thanks, Lord. Like, that was weird. I do like SpaghettiOs, but that kind of that was good. Get used to it. And over time, I'm telling you, it is just good. You know, this is not God's will for us just because he, like, so appreciates thank yous. He knows that it's good for us to thank him. He knows the danger of unthankfulness and bitterness and what kind of life that leads to. And so he gives us the command, not for his sake, but for ours. So again, we must ask ourselves, when was the last time I genuinely thanked God for anything other than my food? I would, I would think many of your guys' households have taught you like, Thank the Lord for your food. That's a great practice. It's a biblical practice. It's one that we should continue. But is that all you thank God for? Is he just a a vending machine? Or is there much more? The thing with this one is that it doesn't take much time. It just takes a little intentionality. Fifth and finally, we are to then, uh, to, to do this, we are to be practicing submitting. Now, it's a word that is often looked down on. It's a word that the world would be repulsed by because it has to do with humility. But verse 21 says that you and I are to be submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, this is a big little verse. Verse 21 is not big, but it'll set the tone for our next study. And so if you plan to be here next week, you should really listen now to this fifth and final. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. This word submitting, if you're taking notes, it literally means to be under in rank. To be under in rank. It's actually a military word. It speaks of the way that an army is organized among levels of rank. You have generals, colonels, majors, captains, sergeants, and privates. There are levels of rank, and you are obligated as a soldier, whichever rank you are, to respect to those who are in higher rank. However, you and I know how the kingdom of God works. Jesus said that those who want to be greatest of all are to be what? Servants of all, right? You'll know for next time. When Jesus said, those who want to be greatest of all must be servants of all or the servant of all. You see, to submit yourself to someone is to humble yourself before them, treating them better than yourself. It is an act of service. And so are there spiritually authoritative positions within the church Absolutely. There, there is a structure, but it's flipped. How in the world, the top should be the most served. In the church, it should be flipped. The top should be those that serve the most. And so whoever it is that you might look to as to be a authority in rank higher than you, all that means is that person has the opportunity to serve more. Jesus gave us this example when he was highest in rank, but submitted himself to his disciples in an act of service when he washed their feet. He said, me being your teacher and your Lord, I have set an example to you. Romans 12, 10 and 1 Peter 5, 5 says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in the notice in honor giving preference to one another. 1 Peter 5:5, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Regardless of where you think your status is at or position you fill or whatever it might be when it comes to marriage, when it comes to work life, when it comes to church life, when it comes to even, oh, I'm, I'm the older sibling. So I, no, that just means you get to serve your younger to a greater capacity. We are to submit to one another in the fear of God, meaning it has nothing to do with if we respect that person or not. Whether we respect them or not, the person is not our motive It is out of our reverence and respect for the Lord as our master commander. And so he has said, I want you to submit. I want you to put yourself under whoever you think is under you. And this is a direct order. And so we say, yes, Lord. So our goal is clear. We are to walk circumspectly and redeem the time to make the most of every opportunity for Jesus. The motivation is compelling because the days are evil. Time is short because judgment's, judgment is coming. And our practices to accomplish this, at least for me, were convicting. I don't know if you guys found them convicting, but I absolutely did. Um, We are to understand God's will, to seek out what He wants for our lives. We are to be filled with the Spirit, to live under God's influence. We're to worship together, to express gratitude, and to submit to one another. We are to not live carelessly, but intentionally, not letting one day go by that we do not buy up all the opportunities we can for Jesus. To live in His will to live under his influence, to overflow with worship and thankfulness and to serve those that God has put in our life no matter how small. And so today as we spend a couple minutes in worship and worship Tim, you can come out. I wanna think about that day that we arrive at eternity's shore. There's gonna be a day that we all arrive there. Will we have made... The most of the time that God gave us? Will we look back with regret and remorse or or will we rejoice because we were used by the Lord? Well, Philippians 2.13 tells us that it is God who works in us both to be willing and to then be doing for his good pleasure. And so let's pray that he would work in us. Lord, this is our prayer this morning, that you'd work in us. We know we don't have it ourselves. We know that if it was up to us, we would waste our life quicker than anyone. Yet, you've given us a command to not let one day go by that's wasted. And so, Lord, help us to live intentionally. Help us to redeem the time that you've given us. We don't know that end date. We look forward to seeing you face to face. We would all say this morning, Maranatha, or Lord, come. We want you to come back. Our world's getting crazy because the days are evil. And how much more, as we see that day approaching, should we gather together to worship you, to stir one another up for love and good works? Father, we love you. We look to you. We present our lives to you and ask that you would help us to put these things into practice that we might get to heaven one day and have something to show for it. Not of us not of what we have done, but what we allowed you to do in us and through us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about you. And we pray that you would be the one who gets the glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.